Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job. This episode will feature Brendan Fitzgerald, who is a member of the bass section with the St. Louis Symphony. This is a really exciting episode for me to share. Brendan, over a year ago, read a few blog posts that I made about deep practice, and he was also able to watch a few of the live streams of me practicing the Jolive Concertino, and that content inspired him to try out my methodology on his own audition prep. The result of his programming led him to not only winning an audition with the St. Louis Symphony, but he and another candidate were offered trial weeks with the Minnesota Orchestra shortly after that. Because of the coronavirus, that process is still ongoing. To be honest, it's quite humbling to talk to Brendan about his process because although he was inspired by my ideas, I learned so much from talking with him about how he applied them for himself. This episode, I believe, is also special because not only do we have some recordings of Brendan throughout the episode, that's pretty normal, but he also shared a mock round that he recorded the week leading up to his Minnesota audition that I will share after the outro of this episode. I hope that it's interesting for you to hear what someone sounds like just before they were successful in their audition. All right. Let's get into the episode. To begin our interview, I asked Brendan about his process of preparing the excerpts for the audition. Here's what he said. Yeah, so I actually, I was, I was pretty inspired by you um, watching your, I think it was the Jolivet concertant that you were putting together. Um, yeah, the concertino. And yeah. you talked about, yeah, the concertino, right. And you talked about deep learning with, with this music, which is something that I had kind of heard about before, but you alluded to it, and, and it seemed like the program that you had going worked really well. And there were a couple reasons why I wanted to try it. One is uh, organizationally, I tend to not be too great. I tend to kind of do things in a very laissez-faire, sort of free-form way, which I think offers some, some creative choices, uh, and it allows me to structure my, you know, my practice time or my preparation for things in ways that feel good to me, um, but I wasn't, you know, I hadn't won a job yet. And my time, I, I was on uh, two one-year contracts in Seattle, and what spurred me to basically create this new audition program and prep for myself was that I didn't make finals in the audition for my chair. Um, you know, the chair that I was holding for someone else, they held an open national audition for it, and I advanced but didn't make finals. So now there was a very definite expiration date on my employment, and so I needed something that would just be more reliable and would just force me to get into the practice room and stay in there as long as I needed to every day. Um, the, the thing about your type of program and you know, my type of program, and I wasn't going to describe it, is that it doesn't really leave any room for uh, cheating, you know, I, I, I can't really say, oh, I feel like I've done enough. I feel like maybe I've practiced this enough today uh, without actually doing the rest that I set out to do. And 
you know, there's a there's a hard copy of my prep, and I can see exactly how many reps I've done at what tempo each day. And until I've done the number of reps that I aim to do, my practice just isn't done for that day. And so it was a way of keeping myself honest, as well as some other things that I'll uh, I'll talk about. So basically, when I put together the program, I knew that I had about six weeks before the audition. Uh, I was coming off of preparing another audition, and so I was in pretty good physical shape, and I was playing, you know, seven, eight, nine service weeks in Seattle, so I was, you know, pretty strong physically, uh, you know, with regards to the base. <laughs> um, basically, when I when I put together this program, I knew I had six weeks, and so my plan was to do uh, four to five weeks of build-up and then one week of performance practice and just kind of tightening the nuts and bolts and getting everything nice and tidy, you know, dotting the proverbial I's and crossing the proverbial T's. So when I started, I set every, I found my goal tempo for all my excerpts, and then I set all of them at 50%. I split the list up into, I believe it was a two-day split, um, and I would, I took a mandated Monday off, you know, with most symphony schedules, Monday is the day off. And so I didn't touch the bass. I didn't think about music. I didn't, I mean, maybe I listened to some for my own personal enjoyment, but I did not think about the audition one day a week. Um, and I think mentally that's pretty helpful. Um, you don't always have that luxury to have a schedule, you know, one day off that's the same every week. But if you can, you know, if, if whoever's listening, uh, if you can schedule that for yourself, I think it is hugely helpful. Um, Ryan, you know a lot more about this than me in terms of uh, the athletic side of things, you know, why you need those recovery days. Um, I mean, I, I read somewhere that they're, like, more important than the days that you're actually weightlifting. Yeah, I mean, that's so, uh, where, sorry, that's basically where, that's where the learning happens, right? We do all these things, mm -hmm. and especially if we're ingraining it the right way. Uh, I've learned that the neural pathways, that's when the myelin is being built, is when, like, we're resting. And also having mm -hmm. that day off is one fewer days that you could possibly have something go wrong, too, right? So in the sense <laughs> of doing something, yeah. you're making it so you're not going to do something wrong, even though you could be doing something right. So there's sort of like a, a neutral benefit of not playing, too. Yeah, and and uh, especially for the more physically taxing instruments, like I mean, any brass instrument or bass or maybe cello, uh, certain percussion instruments, where it just takes a lot of effort to get the thing, you know, get the sound moving. I think that day off is hugely, hugely important, just just to avoid injury. If you talk to, I'm sure you know, you've already talked to quite a few audition winners, and I've I have some colleagues as well who I've talked to, and the common thread is that everyone was working really hard getting into the audition. You know, no no one was kind of dogging it, putting in an hour a day, telling themselves that they're good enough. Uh, people are working really, really hard and just putting in an obscene amount of hours every week, um, you know, striving towards this goal. So when I organized my list, I split it up into two days, and I had one mandated day off every day, which was Monday. And so I played the list uh, at 50% tempo, and my goal was five reps. I felt like if I did five really solid repetitions, then that would stick. And then the next day when I come back to a different tempo, 
I will have, you know, learned what I set out to learn on that day. Um, and this has, is where some, there's some flexibility. Um, if there was a more challenging physically, just a more exhausting excerpt, I might allow myself four reps. Um, or if it's something really repetitive, um, for, there was one audition I was working on where uh, they asked the complete last movement of Mozart's 35th Symphony, and it's really, there's just a lot of notes to learn, and if you play the entire thing straight through, I, I was pretty exhausted afterwards, and so I think I allowed myself three or four reps on that one. So you kind of need to, the, the most important thing with this type of prep, because it's so physically intense, is that you're always listening to your body and adjusting things as you need to for uh, your own physical well-being and comfort. So I played each excerpt at 50% tempo five times with, you know, with the goal. And then the next day, or two days later, after I completed the full cycle of the repertoire, um, I came back to it at 55% tempo and did, again, five reps. And I basically did that for a month or, or five weeks. Towards the end, I think I didn't actually go all the way to 100. Uh, I, I took myself to, I believe, 90% on some excerpts, 95% on others. And I just trusted that I've played enough of this stuff at tempo with various orchestras or in various auditions. And I was just going to trust that all the great habits that I had been working in would carry over to that extra 5 or 10% of tempo markings to get to my goal tempo. Um, and also, as I increased the speed, I decreased the number of reps. I felt like the most important work that I was doing was in that 50 to 70% tempo range. And so as I got closer to 90 or 95, things started getting more and more challenging, and I, I found that I was at risk of ingraining bad habits. And so I, by the time I got to my very close to my goal tempos, I was only doing two or three repetitions per excerpt. And also, as the speeds got faster and the clicks uh, got closer together, I would spread the clicks out so that I was playing, instead of a click every beat, I was doing a click every two beats or three beats or four beats. And I was also trying to put them on difficult beats. So if it were a, a piece in three, I'd you know, play with the click only on two or the click only on three, et cetera. Um, and that was basically my, my buildup. So it's one thing I really liked about what you said was there was an amount of trust involved with that last gap, that 10% jump you described. Um, can you just comment mm -hmm. on the idea of trust in this kind of prep in general? Because you're generally probably playing fewer repetitions. Obviously, you're trying to keep the quality higher, but you're playing fewer repetitions overall. So what's the relationship of trust with a prep like this versus maybe what you've done in the past? Yeah, so in, in the past, what I had done is I was sort of doing the frog leaping out of the well uh, approach where I would play, I would maybe give myself one or two reps at five to six different tempos in a day. So maybe I'd jump from uh, click at 100 to click at 130, and then the next day I would start at maybe 110 or 105. So I was in gradually increasing the tempo but I was constantly going forward and back. And I think the, the key to why that didn't work is that I wasn't giving myself enough reps. Um, and if I had given myself, you know, five reps at each click, 
maybe that method would work great, but then I'd be doing like 25 or 30 or 35 reps on one excerpt in a day, which there's just not enough hours in the day and there's not enough hours of, you know, bass playing time that I can, I can do. Um, so the, the trust aspect also, also came into play, um, when I changed my prep method fundamentally from anything I'd ever done before, part of it, I was able to trust myself because I had taken maybe 25 auditions already and I had already gone through all the repertoire on these particular lists multiple times with many different teachers and in multiple auditions. And I had played most of that repertoire in either the Seattle Symphony or Milwaukee or Civic or the Northwestern Orchestra or some relatively high-level group, um, and so I had a, a concept for each excerpt, and I knew that I could perform it, um, and so the, the idea was just that I would trust that the eventual product would work based on this long-form practice of not performing anything even remotely close to tempo for a month or five weeks. Um, there's a saying in barbecue that I read a book, and it's actually not quite true, but the saying is, if you're looking, you ain't cooking. Uh, and that means if you're, you know, opening up the hood of your grill and looking at the meat that's cooking, it's not actually cooking because all the heat is leaving. And so I subscribed to that methodology for this prep where I felt like if I'm looking, if I'm, if I'm trying to play stuff half-tempo and seeing how it's working, I'm not actually ingraining really great habits. I'm sort of asking questions and, and seeing whether or not something works, as opposed to doing something that works every time, many, many, many times. And so then when I have to do it at tempo, in the audition, under pressure, I've already got 50 or 100 or even 200 great repetitions in my physical memory bank. And then the other aspect of trust that goes into this prep is I don't think this style of preparation works for beginners. If there are still technical issues with your instrument, you know, for, for bass, for example, maybe you have an issue with your bounce strokes. You can't play a even uh, consistent spiccato, or you can't reliably play in tune a good percentage of the time, then this type of prep isn't going to be extremely helpful um, because I wasn't really targeting individual spots. I was only playing through entire excerpts from start to finish for about a month before I dove into the minutia of, you know, one individual measure or the connection between two individual notes. Um, I, I saved all that for the last week. So after this long, long percentage-based buildup, uh, my last week before the audition, I focused on really, truly performing. Um, I turned the metronome off, and I would practice starting every single excerpt every day, um, at, at least twice, preferably three times. But basically, I just wanted to get two to three good starts in a row, so I knew it wasn't a fluke. And I did that every day, in addition to um, running either a portion of the list or the entire list split up, or I believe I, I even did one or two runs of just the entire list front to back. Um, and I would do that every day play around or play a few rounds, record myself, go back and listen to that recording and take notes on everything that went wrong. And then later that day or the next morning before I did my next run, 
I would practice all the spots that went wrong. So instead of front-loading my prep with spot practice and then just trying to perform for a month, I front-loaded um, very diligent, slow, complete performances so that I wasn't working in any bad habits. And then in the last week, that's when I addressed little hiccups that I didn't really know would happen until trying to play everything without a metronome and with you know multiple other excerpts around it and you know for the recorder. I mentioned before, this is pretty crazy to hear how effective organized practice was for Brendan as a musician. He now has an objective process that he can continue to refine. To continue with our interview, I wanted to know Brendan's thoughts now on mentally preparing for an audition and what he thought was helpful in making sure that he would be mentally strong and focused during his audition. Yeah, um, there are a few things. So, Number one, and this is kind of a, a blanket statement, I think everyone needs to do whatever works for them. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you play your best, do that. You know, I've, I've heard way too many people offer these one-size-fits-all prescriptions for, for you know, uh, the mental side of performing, and it doesn't work for everyone. Some people like meditating. Some people feel like if they do yoga and drink a ton of water and eat a huge salad the night before the audition, that's what makes them feel best. Um, I like going out and getting a big, disgusting meal of greasy barbecue. Uh, that makes me feel good. And so I, I think that you need to find whatever puts you in the most positive headspace. And for some people, that could be eating a burger and watching their favorite movie. For other people, that could be going and running a half marathon. Um, everyone's got a different, a different style. And, you know, like you said, who are, kind of who are we to tell you what is and is not right if it works? And for me, um, yeah, there was, there was no intensive meditation or bodily awareness exercises or anything. I basically worked hard and played hard. You know, when I was practicing, I, was, I didn't have the TV on or anything. I mean, I was thinking about nothing other than the sound that my instrument was making and, you know, what, what I was accomplishing in the practice room in that moment. And then when I was done playing the bass, I was, I was not thinking about the bass. I was not thinking about the audition. I was either watching TV or I would, you know, walk around Seattle and treat myself to a, a nice takeout meal or something. Just anything to put yourself, like I said, in the most positive headspace possible. Um, I remember Nick Platoff. Uh, you, you know, we were at school with them, and he, he won the San Francisco Associate Principal Trombone Audition uh, a couple of years ago. I heard some interview with him where he said that his car got towed in Miami, and he was, you know, working so hard towards the audition that he let his car just stay in the impound lot for, like, two weeks or something. And then he went and won the audition, and then he came back and dealt with it and paid, you know, however many thousand dollars it was 
to get the car back. But that was what he needed to do to keep his head in the game, to not think about other mundane, you know, trivial stuff like, you know, your car getting impounded. Luckily, my car didn't get impounded, but I definitely subscribe to that mentality that you need to do whatever works for you to put you in the most positive headspace to perform your best. So is there any way to practice this outside of an audition, or is it only really replicable when you go take an audition? Yeah, well, I, I think just if there's any performance that you have coming up that, you know, you really care about and maybe it's challenging or stressful in some way, um, part of this is I, I don't think it's necessarily practicable with regards to any specific performance. I think it's just finding out what you like to do in your off time and doing that, you know, allowing yourself time to enjoy life outside of music. Or maybe, you know, what you want to do to enjoy life outside of the audition or the performance or whatever is to go see a concert or to listen to music or to write a new song. That, that's great. You know, whatever you enjoy doing and makes you feel happy, I think it's important that you keep doing that when you're preparing for anything stressful. And it's not just for auditions or for musical performances. It could be you know, planning your wedding or doing your taxes or, you know, any anything that takes a lot of effort and time, I think you also need to balance out that hard work with, uh, yeah, enjoyment of life. I know the answer to this question, but what's your relationship with beta blockers? Uh, my relationship with beta blockers is that I've taken them for every serious audition since I was 18. Um, I only started playing bass my sophomore year of high school, and I didn't really know how to practice. And so when it came time for college auditions, uh, I was relatively unprepared. And so understandably so, I got unbelievably nervous during my first couple college auditions and just totally bombed. And I had heard about beta blockers. My dad is a current uh, amateur musician and... He said, sure, if you want to, you know, they didn't, they didn't work for me when I was in college, but they work for a lot of people, and if you want to try them, sure. So I got a prescription, and I took one for my NEC audition, and it was like an out-of-body experience. Um, in the, so beta blockers don't let you play better than yourself. They just let you meet your potential. Um, I had gotten used to any sort of performance whether, you know, any, any solo performance, whether it was an audition or a short, you know, part recital or playing a studio class or something, I've gotten used to playing well below my level of preparation. Even though my level of preparation, albeit at the time, was not great, I still was playing so much worse than I was in the practice room that uh, the first time I took beta blockers, I finally played the way that I did in the practice. And so since then, I've just taken them for every um, audition situation. Um, I don't really get too nervous in the orchestra. I don't get too nervous playing alone in, in master classes or things like that anymore. Um, it's just the, the mental hurdle of knowing that there is a group of people actively judging my performance, not just there listening and, you know, they, they paid for a ticket to enjoy this music, they are actively listening, deciding whether or not I am good enough to play in, in their band. 
And it's that that mental hurdle that sort of trips me up and just gives me crippling performance anxiety. My hands get shaky. My center of pitch goes completely out the window. My brain is, you know, I have racing thoughts. My brain's moving a million miles a minute. Uh, my heart rate speeds up. And I've, I've worked on, I've done some meditation and, you know, the Bill Williams stuff about centering. And you know, I read Inner Game of Tennis and the Talent Code. And uh, I, I worked a lot on trying to mitigate that. And it would, certainly was helpful. But for me, um, when I take a beta blocker, I play at the level of my preparation. And so if my preparation is good, I can just trust that I'm not going to freak out in the performance. Yeah, well said. Awesome. It's one thing I, I know we talked about this after my Chicago audition, but I think it's the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I would have won the audition, but I think it, it really was the big thing that held me back was just my physical reaction to the, the adrenaline, the nerves, whatever words you want to put there. Um, yeah, I was just dealing with shortness of breath and stuff like that. And, I mean, it's a common thing for everybody. I just sort of have maintained this, well, I should be able to get along without beta blockers. And so I didn't take them, but mm -hmm. I've talked to so many people at this point that are like, yeah, beta blockers is a part of my recipe for success. And I think it's worth people understanding that on top of all of the tempo work you did and all of the mental energy and the living life you've done, you also just take this little pill and that helps too. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, my philosophy is that, well, it's not really a philosophy. Um, adrenaline is an incredibly powerful substance. It lets women lift cars off of their babies. So when people talk about, you know, eating a banana and, and breathing deeply, that just doesn't quite sit with me. Um, adrenaline is an unbelievably, in, inhumanly powerful chemical that gets secreted into the bloodstream when you're nervous. And if I can just take a little pill that stops that from happening, why not? episode to a close, I tried to bring the conversation full circle and get Brendan's thoughts on what he thinks made the difference in his actual audition. So far, he's given us a ton of really great and amazing information on the preparation he did in the weeks leading up to the audition, but I wanted to know his thoughts on what made the difference on the actual day. Let's see what he said. So there, I mean, there are so many things I could point to that I could say, this is why it worked. Um, but I think the thing that translates to a committee more than anything is poise. If you're playing, you know, even if you, you're giving a tremendously musical performance, if it seems like you're really nervous and if your performance seems a little shaky, that's going to put the listener um, not at ease. It's going to make them feel like that when you sit next to them in the section, 
you're going to be jumpy and make them nervous. And with this prep, I had ingrained just such, you know, diligent choreography in my, you know, all my physical gestures and in my playing that even the fast stuff that was kind of on the edge of my playing ability was still under my fingers. You know, nothing, I, I, I feel like I probably demonstrated better poise in these two auditions that I did in any audition prior. Not to mention, I just, I created a program and actually stuck with it. I didn't allow myself a day off because I was feeling tired. I didn't skip a morning practice session because our concert, you know, went into overtime the night before. I just forced myself to get into the practice room and do the program that I had made for myself. And I didn't allow myself any, um, you know, like I said, I, I mandated a day off every week. That was my day off every week. Every other day, I was living at the hall. Um, in Seattle, they are very fortunate to have um, a hall where they have access to it 24 hours a day. And so as a bass player, I was able to leave my instrument in the locker room, and I could come into the hall at 5 a.m. or 2 a.m. I could stay after concerts and practice. I basically lived at the hall from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, six days a week, for I would say about six months. Um, because before the St. Louis audition, I was preparing for the Chicago audition, which was then canceled a week before my prelim date because of the strike. And then after St. Louis, uh, the Minnesota audition was about a month after that. I, I wasn't practicing 10 hours a day, but out, you know, between rehearsals, concerts and my prep, uh, I was at the hall from about 8 a.m. to 10 or 11 p.m., six days a week for six months. And, uh, yeah, there's really just no substitute for putting in the time. Wow. <laughs> Gosh, man, that's... Uh, yeah, that's it wasn't like, fun, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> way more intense. Yeah, it, it wasn't fun, but it also was incredibly rewarding. Um, the thing about this tempo-based program that I put together is that I just, um, at the end of each day, I felt a tremendous sense of accomplishment because I wrote down what I planned to do, and then I did that. And so at the end of the day, I, I never looked back and thought, did I practice enough? Could I have practiced more? Could I have spent more time? No. I put in the time that I planned to put in, and uh, it was enough. And so every night when I left the hall, I felt like I had done what I set out to do on the base that day. And, uh, you know, I just kept doing that for a really long time. Before we close out the episode and listen to Brendan's mock round that he recorded just before his successful audition in Minnesota, I wanted to take a moment and compare Brendan's audition program with the program that I made for my audition for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra that I shared with you all last summer. Our auditions were around the same time, and although Brendan was inspired by my ideas, his programming was better than mine in a number of ways. The first way is that his buildup started at half tempo in week one and ended at 90 to 95% in week four. My buildup started at half tempo in week one and ended at 75% in week six. My buildup was both too long and too slow. Additionally, Brendan's peaking phase lasted 8 to 10 days, doing a good amount of performing while still leaving room to isolate and refine the excerpts. 
everything about my peaking phase was poorly planned. It was too long at four weeks. It consisted of mock rounds, but initially they too were designed to be under tempo, and I didn't really leave any room to isolate and refine the excerpts the same way Brendan did. The biggest way, however, Brendan's prep was more successful than mine was his commitment to infusing all the slow tempo work with as much color, shape, character, and overall musical commitment that he could. I found it to be difficult to truly ingrain the music at those slow tempos, so I basically stopped fighting the good fight. I focused on the nuts and bolts of rhythm and articulation and intonation, and when I went to play for Barbara Butler and Charlie Geyer, they commented that, you have good time and pitch, but I don't hear the musical commitment. Everything about improving at our craft is a process, and even though I feel that I have learned a lot, I am always open to learning more, and I hope to always maintain that level of openness. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I would like to thank Brendan Fitzgerald for supplying information, good times, and the music for this episode. If you learned something, gained some motivation, or simply enjoyed the episode, consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. Be sure to share on social media as well so other people can find and enjoy the episode themselves. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode, and most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.